Into hump day today, we are closer than we were on Monday to Friday, and that's a good thing. So uh, we want to welcome you to this show. Paul Cosma joins me right off the bat. And, uh, Paul, we're, you're sitting in your office, is that right? Yes, sir, And uh, in Pennsylvania, and it's a beautiful day today. Well, it's it. you got a little bit of sun already because the sun is coming up, isn't it? Well, it comes up around 6 o'clock, and, and I know that because I have to take the dog out every morning. So <laughs> okay. I have to wait for the sun to come up. There you go. All right. Well, anyway, we're sitting here at 7 minutes after 6, uh, Little Rock time, and it's good to have you along. And I, I didn't watch – well, I'll take that back. I did watch a little bit of baseball last night on um, Major League Baseball Network, and I think – I'm trying to think who they had playing last night – uh, Baltimore and I don't know if it was the was it the Mets maybe I forget no it was the Nationals so we're watching that I'm watching that game and then they started talking about uh, the Giants and the Giants uh, played last night and uh, Carl Yastrzemski's uh, grandson of all people was one of the players that took a knee uh, during the national anthem and you know. Carl's got to be flipping out. He really does have to be flipping out. But uh, it, it just, I sat there and watched it, and I said, are we going to go through this now with baseball? I mean, we're already going to go through it with football. We're seeing that in football they're going to play what they call now the Black National Anthem before they play the National Anthem and uh, for black players. And then uh, I guess some of the players are seeing they're going to take a knee and all of that. I'm done with professional sports if this keeps up. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's only because they're in America that they can even do what they're doing. And it drives me just absolutely crazy. Now, Paul is a, is a Mets fan, and I know he's a hardcore Mets fan, just like I'm a hardcore Cubby fan. And i got to tell you, I'll put it aside. I can I can walk away from it. It's, it's no no skin off of my nose, as my dad would say. And uh, I'm just uh, I, I'm really disgusted with this. And you're trying to come back and re reestablish a sport that uh, you know one of several of the players said, "Well, I'm not going to come and play because I'm not going to get my full salary." You're not going to give me my full salary. I'm not going to play. And this is when millions of people are out of work. You know what I'm saying? Dave, were there fans in the stands? Oh, no, there were no fans. In the, and here's <laughs> – I don't know if they did it or not. I was watching the game the other day. I think it was uh, Philadelphia and, and, and the Yankees. I mean, right now everything is exhibition. It's not <clears> – <throat> it's not uh, uh, the, the regular season. Regular season of 60 games will start tomorrow. But I think it was at Yankee Stadium. They had fake people sitting in the seats. They had, like, cutouts of people in the seats. And if somebody got, like, a base hit or somebody hit a home run or whatever, they were playing cheering in the background. You know, I find it interesting when uh, all these lockdowns were happening, 
The biggest concern the governors had in the big, in the states uh, was the ability to get an area where the stadiums were to, I mean, they call it green or yellow. They're all different classifications for the states to a point where you could play games. They were more concerned about the ability to play professional sports than getting the people back to work. And I found that interesting. And I, I myself, I'm not going to watch, definitely not going to watch basketball. No. Uh, uh, and baseball, I was a coach in high school and I played, you know, as did you. And I love the game. Absolutely love the game. I'm not going to watch it because 60 game seasons, number one, it doesn't make sense because it's really about the playoffs. Right. Just like basketball. Yeah. Basketball is a, a very short season, but it's the playoffs where the money is. So it, it, it's all about money. Um, sports are a freedom that we have uh, where people have to actually go to the game to enjoy the game. How can you sit and watch it on TV? So I'm not I'm not watching these uh, and I, uh, the sports at all. And I'm a big fan. I think yeah. it's wrong. Well, I, I don't have any problems sitting at home and watching games because, to be honest, it's too expensive to go to a game anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in paying, you know, $23 for a hot dog and a beer. So I, I stay at home, and I got better seats than I would if I were at the stadium. Not to say that I don't like going to the stadiums. I still like going to the stadiums. But uh, I'm, I'm getting, I guess I'm getting to be an old codger. Uh, like my dad would say uh, when he was getting older. And I'm getting to that point where I don't like to get out in huge crowds and uh, have to deal with the traffic. I mean, it's, it's, it's enough to go to work every day when uh, I'm driving into work and i got to deal with those people in their cars and they're driving like idiots. I don't need to be out there uh, with, you know, 15 times that many people uh, driving like idiots. So I'll just stay home and watch the games with, you know, this whole thing of disrespecting the national anthem and disrespecting the American flag, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, cause it, it's, it's crazy. It, there's no reason for this. You know, that it's not our flag that is making some police officers go off and, and be criminals. Uh, that's not what's happening. Our flag calls us to bigger and better things. It doesn't call, uh, call us just to what's happening right now. It calls us, calls us to be, you know, to do what the Constitution says, to make this a greater. And, uh, and then the, the Declaration of Independence calls us to become a more perfect union. That's what we're working towards. We're not perfect yet. Last I looked, when I get up in the morning, I put my pants on just like everybody else does. And uh, I'm not perfect. They're not perfect. And uh, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I just don't where get else it. In, where else but in America can you play a, a game, right? Basketball is a game. Baseball is a game. And make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. We, we idolize these people who, if the, if the game were to stop, what would they do? That's all they can do is play that game, really. To make and that kind of money. To make that kind of money, and yet they criticize the very country that pays a salary that you just wouldn't get anywhere else to have fun. I, I, I mean, it makes no sense to me. Well, and when um, I sit and watch professional sports, it looks like it's pretty doggone integrated to me. It doesn't look like 
uh, people are are being held down. It looks like to me that they're living the American dream. And uh, and that's why I'm saying if there's no fans, I'm not going to watch it because listen, you had the Bulls, I had the Knicks, and the greatest thing about watching games on TV was the emotion of the game, the fans getting excited when you make the comeback. When you uh-huh. make that, you know, that three-foot or last-second shot, no fans. How could you watch a game with no emotion? I, I just can't do it. No, I can't either. And that's why my wife at times <laughs> tells me to go bed, go to the bedroom away from the TV because I'm yelling at the TV. <laughs> I go, well, you know me well enough. You know how I am in a game. So, I mean, I'm, I'm right there on the court or on the field or whatever with the players at that point. You know, I'm doing my well, part. My part is to help pull them along. Well, I think it's sad we're at this point. Um, you know, you got hockey, you got basketball, you got baseball. Football season, I mean, think about it. Football is all about emotion. That's what the game's about. Could you imagine watching a game with no fans? Yeah, well, we're going to find out about it if they get the season started because they're – they're starting about starting the season in September. It may they may push it back to October, but they're talking about having the game. And and the only reason that they're not allowing people to go to these games is on a false narrative. That's what's driving me absolutely crazy about this. I mean, did we do we stop going to games when the flu season starts? Well, I think that's what this is really going to come down to when when we talk today is how bad is the coronavirus, which really no one wants to talk about anymore because it's you live it you know, for six months, we've been living it. And is it really that bad where you can't sit next to people? And I believe the answer is no, it's not. Come on. And someone is going to have to make a decision. Uh, are we in on this? Are we out on this? Meaning, uh, do we grin and bear and open everything up, which is what I would do, and let the people get the virus because stopping people from getting the virus, I believe, is worse um, because it's natural for the body to develop antibodies, you know, for all these viruses. If you prevent us from getting the virus, you're actually you're delaying a time bomb. You're not solving a problem. And I would I would open everything up. Well, we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to get our first break in. Paul Cosma is my guest, former CEO. Are you retired now? Do you consider yourself officially retired? I'm retired. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm not. I'm still working. So uh, we were we were buddies in college. We were roommates in college and uh, shared a, a trailer together and in in, in, in ate ramen noodles and all kinds of stuff. When we were going, I love that trailer. Yeah, we had a great time, and because the bottom line was, neither of us came from well-to-do families. Uh, we scraped by the best that we could and did the best that we could. I've, everybody who's listened to this show for any length of time knows that I worked in the steel mills during the summer uh, for uh, money to go to college and, and things of that nature. My parents couldn't help me, and. Uh, you know, here I am on the other side and uh, doing what I love and still doing it and want to continue doing it. Although I have to say, when I look out on the America I look on today, 
It ain't the America that I remember so well when I was in my 20s and 30s. We'll come back. We'll talk more about this. Uh, Paul has uh, information. He's going to take the numbers that are coming out from the CDC and from John Hopkins and some other people and uh, tell you about uh, some truth that the, the mainstream media is not telling you. That's all coming your way in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. I'm at my house in my dining room. Paul Cosma, my guest, is at his house in Pennsylvania, and uh, he is in his office. And we're sitting and in, in, uh, having a conversation. We just got through talking about Major League Baseball. It's one of the big stories today that you're going to be hearing uh, on my show and on other shows throughout the day. And uh, I'm sure Russia have something to say about it, as will Hannity this afternoon. So stay uh, to, to see what they got to tell you as as well. Uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, we're going to talk about uh, uh, numbers here for a few minutes because the narrative that you've been getting fed by the national media is false. It is false. And uh, it, it even goes so far, i got to say, uh, the, the local media here in Little Rock, they give you the numbers, but what they don't do is put them into context. And that's why I have Paul on. Paul is uh, a great mathematician. He's been that ever since I have known him. Whenever we'd sit down and talk, we'd be talking about uh, you know, what the numbers are and things of that nature. I mean, I'm sure that he loves baseball, but he likes that they've moved more and more towards analytics because he likes numbers. Numbers, he'll tell you, don't lie. Now, I will always say numbers don't lie, but uh, liars figure. And uh, so uh, we, we've been seeing that going on for a while. So bring us up to date of what you've been following here, Paul. Uh, dealing with the uh, COVID-19 virus. We've got more people, they say, getting the virus, but what they fail to mention in the context is that they are testing more and more people. So if you test more and more people, you'll find more and more people who have, have the virus. Am, am I wrong? No, you're, you're, you're actually right. And what I've done is uh, I'm going to focus on the United States as a whole okay and go through the numbers and for the people listening uh i hope it doesn't sound confusing i know when you're speaking numbers sometimes it's hard to understand uh but what i did was uh at a very high level i went to worldometers uh, john hopkins and i got daily uh numbers on cases deaths and testing and that took hours because it, these numbers are not easily uh, readily available. And you have to find them, dig them out, write them down one by one, put them in a spreadsheet to see what it even means. So uh, what I'm going to read to you took hours, almost a couple of days to put together. But they're very basic numbers. And I'm going to start with the coronavirus before it's, uh, when it first came to, to the United States was already considered dangerous, and it was already considered uh, something that uh, was going to devastate the country. So they were looking at uh, the media, I'll say the media when I say they, but the people were looking at rises or spikes in three categories, cases, deaths, and testing. 
and have trained and conditioned the American people to think every time the number goes up, it's a bad thing. Right. And, and, and I think that's the problem. Now, in the beginning, it appeared to be a bad thing because we thought that the mortality rate was very high. Uh-huh. Uh, now it's not. So, so just, Dave, I gave you a short link. I don't know if you're going to look at it or not, uh, but I gave it to you anyway uh, to, for the data for the United States. I'm going to follow it. I'm going I'm to follow along with you talking just like my listeners. Okay, good. So when you look at the cases in the United States uh, starting on March 14th, so I have 18 weeks of data from the very beginning when it started. Uh, as the cases grew up until April 4th, we were doing 200,000 cases a week. And, and, and you have to understand that when a number sounds big, if you're conditioned to think the bigger the number, the bigger the problem. Um, that's, what, that's what's happened. And from April 14th to June 6th, the cases actually dropped. They trended down. Remember when everyone was saying we have to get the cases to a certain number before we could open things up? And the question is, why is that even important? And then from June 6th, to July 11th, one, two, three, four, five, six more weeks of data, the cases have spiked. We're now doing almost 500,000 cases a week, half a million cases a week, uh, where we were down to 200,000. So the media has uh, made that seem like it's, it's a horrible thing. And when you look at the deaths, what, what's very interesting is the deaths on April 11th were at 14,000 a week. And now, coming into the May 30th to July 11th timeframe, for the last seven weeks, we've been below 6,000 deaths a week. Period. But, but we've got a whole lot more people, supposedly, that have caught the disease. Okay, so, so what I did was, I, I mean, for this data to really make sense, you have to have a relationship between the cases and the deaths. And if you guys, Dave, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, our president tried to explain uh, mortality rates as it relates to cases yesterday. And he confused a lot of people by doing that because the cases are people that actually went to a hospital, went to a doctor. We know they have the virus. Uh-huh. And then there's the there's the unknown cases that we don't know about. And so I'm just going to talk about the cases. What's interesting is when you relate deaths to cases week by week. So I take the total number of deaths and I divide it by the total number of cases for each week from April 11th to May 2nd. So that's about a month. The percent of deaths was 7%. All right. And when you when you think about it, when the Spanish flu hit uh, and it it went across all age groups, you know, young, old didn't matter. It was 10 percent. So everyone is so. So 7 percent is a high number is what I'm driving at. And everyone is thinking, well, uh, if it's 7 percent, we're going to lose millions and millions of people. But what happened is from May 2nd all the way till now. It's dropped 
every week, the percentage. And if you and it's a death to case percentage, Dave, if you ever look at the uh, get a chance to look at the graph. Okay, so what's interesting is today and for the last three weeks, the death to case percentage is now one percent. So as the cases have gone up, the deaths have stayed the same. It's, you know, less than 6,000 every week. So it's relatively the same. It'll All right. Swing I, need down. To, I need to call Talia and say, hold on, and let's pick this up in just a moment. We've got a hard break we've got to get to. We've got the news, and that's coming up right now. All right, let me get you set up. If you just joined us, uh, you're going into work early this morning or whatever. Uh, Paul Cosma is on. Paul is my little brother from fraternity. Uh, Don't let that discourage you from listening because he is a a first-class mathematician. He's been the CEO of a couple of companies uh, during his lifetime. He's retired now, which has given him the time to sit down and ferret out the numbers that we need to hear about so that we know really how bad is the COVID-19, quote, epidemic going here in uh, the United States. Does the governor of the state of Arkansas have real reasons for making everybody wear a mask? We're going to get into that in just a few moments as well. But right now, Paul was taking, he's already talked about the spike of the number of people who are showing that they have the virus. Now he's talking about deaths and how deaths have not gone up with infection. They have gone down with infection. It went from, I think we said, at a high of 7%, which was about 3% below the Spanish flu at the turn of the 20th century, which killed millions. And so they thought that's what we were in store for here uh, in our country with COVID-19 to the point of uh, we're at 1% now, just about 1%, which is just about what the regular flu that you deal with every year is. So, Paul, I'll let you pick it up from there and uh, take us through the rest of these numbers. Well, that was put very well. And and going back to the 7%, if you're conditioned to think it's always going to be 7%, and that's what I think the mindset in America is right now, um, then you will worry and you will panic. But going down to 1%, which has been... Uh, flatline for the last almost month now. That's an 86% drop. And that's what our president's been trying to say, and I think he's having a tough time getting the message across. But if you're at 1% with known cases, these are people who we know are infected. All the people that have never seen a doctor or hospital are not even added into this equation. And when you throw in the unknown cases, which are what they are called, you know, people already have the antibodies, your percentage goes down to, that's why we're at 0.2% overall, because we're not even tracking those people. Now, so, so what I was trying to say before is when you have a relation between deaths and cases, and you look at the percentages, you see a dramatic improvement. Now, what they don't say in the media also, because the deaths are so low, Dave, and I thought this was very interesting, they don't say how many people recover. And in the, in the case of uh, the United States, uh, we've had almost uh, 2 million people 
that have recovered already. And no one even knows about that. But what I find interesting, when you look at the week-to-week stats, when you do 450,000 cases a week, and you only have 6,000 deaths, actually less, it's more like 5,000, that means you have 445,000 people that are recovering every week. Now think about that. Why aren't we talking about that? That means every two weeks, a million people have the virus and are recovered from the virus. And that's what we really should be doing in the United States. We shouldn't be stopping people from getting it because it's very, very mild. The more people that get it, the more people that recover. And it's and you're right, Dave, it's like the flu. That's what happens when you have the flu. I mean, think about it. Kids go to school. Someone has the flu. What happens? Everyone gets the flu. We're stopping what's natural for the human body to develop the antibodies to fight this virus. We're making the problem worse. Well, if if we're going to try to cut deaths, I mean, and it seems like to me, uh, number one, Americans have a problem with death because everybody thinks they're going to live forever. And that's not the case. Uh, death is the one constant that we know everybody is going to going to meet. It's the great equalizer. Everybody dies. But here's the, the, the point that we all have to come to. We have to understand, okay, so we can't stop death. So let's find the most vulnerable part of the population that needs the most help during this time, and, and, and let's keep them safe. And from what I've read, that's people that are in their 80s, not in their 60s, in their 80s. People who are 80, 85 years old, they get this stuff, and because their immune system is weak and things of that nature, they already have other diseases, they die from this, uh, uh, this, this flu that's out there, this COVID-19. So we want to do everything we can to make sure they know how to stay uh, safe. But that's not what's going on. And that being the case, 65 and older are 85% of all the deaths in America actually in the world. So, and 40 and less, so 40 years of age or less, the deaths are almost non-existent. So, and you think about it, most of your people, your working class, you know, 40, I know it goes up to 55 and 60, but we're penalizing all the people that if they got the virus, either they wouldn't know about it, 80%, it's so mild, they don't even know they have it, or they have it for a week. Like when you have the flu, the flu lasts one week to two weeks. We're stopping all these people who have nothing to fear, um, uh, and, and that's like the baseball games with no crowds. Why not? Uh-huh. Let the crowds be everyone up to 45 years of age, okay? And above that, you know, come at your own risk. People aren't going to die going to a game. We're stopping things that we shouldn't be stopping because we're using the numbers of people that are 65 and older and saying that's consistent across all age groups. The only flu that was like that was the Spanish flu. And if that were the case, by the way, yeah, this would be a serious problem, but it's not. Yeah, and you would be talking about shutting everything down for a long 
period of time, and uh, it would be an ugly situation, to be honest. Uh, Let's all remember that the reason they wanted us to stay at home at the beginning was not because of death. They wanted to flatten the curve so that the hospitals didn't get inundated and and flooded with what they thought was going to be an inordinate amount of cases. That's why they did what they did, flattened the curve. Does everybody remember that term? You heard it for a long time. You're not hearing that anymore. You're really not hearing that anymore. And what's wrong with having uh, hospitals overflowing? Think about it. Had we done nothing and just let it take its course because the mortality rate is so low, we would have been past it already. It would have been done. But what we're trying to do is actually not normal for nature. We're trying to prevent people from getting something they're going to get anyway. And and the logic, you know, with the hospitals, well, you know, they built temporary hospitals. That's what they did in Europe. So so you grin and beer for a couple of weeks and then you're past it. We we haven't gotten past this thing yet. We've made it worse by preventing it. You, you know how many tests we do a week now in the United States? It's because the other argument was we, we don't do enough tests. Right. Right. And in the, in, in the beginning, it was it was pitiful. Okay, we now do over 5 million tests a week. There's 330 million people in the United States, we, and that number keeps on growing. That, if you look at that graph, test per week, it's just a straight line going straight up. Okay, and by the way, that's a good thing because the argument used to be we don't do enough tests, so we can't isolate the spikes. Now we do 5 million a week. So... I, I guess my point is uh, we're doing everything we have to do. The deaths are still low. You think about it, 5 million a week, how many deaths? 6,000 a week, five to 6,000. That says we're not, in that t- we're not in a serious problem that people are saying we're in. And yet we're acting, and this is the part that concerns me, like we are. All right, I understand. All right, we got to get another break in, Paul. Sorry, but I got to pay for the show. With that in with that in mind, let's take a quick break. Come back, and then I want you to talk about Arkansas. You actually went out since the last time you've been on my show and pulled the numbers for this state. And did the governor make the right call? And I think that's what we're going to talk about when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Quarter to seven on a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We are closer to Friday than we were on Monday here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, we got our last segment here with uh, Paul Cosma. We're talking numbers. Uh, I hope that I, I'm not dumping too many numbers on you. I don't think we are. Uh, it's, it's a way for uh, Paul and I to show you that the narrative that's been fed to you that, you know, the, the world is coming to an end is not right. It is false. It's a false narrative. And if you'll just follow the numbers and think about this a little with a little bit of logic, I, th- I think you'll uh, you'll end up in the same place that that we are. I am not uh, here at my house doing my show because I'm afraid that I'm going to get COVID-19. Hi, do you tell you? 
because I drive her crazy, and I call I drive some people crazy at the at the station. I bring four and and more people into my studio at times, and uh, and they're saying, "Well, Dave, you might you might end up getting the virus." And I go, "I believe that people get the virus no matter what. It's out there. Understand this death rate that Paul's talking about. That we're down to like 0.2 percent right now." Think about that. That's without, without, let me repeat it one more time, without a vaccine. Without. It's almost the same as our, the flu that we have every year on the deaths with a vaccine. Keep that in mind. Does this mean that as a society we're going to just shut down? Let's be real on this. Let's, let's have some, let's have some, uh, Logical thinking on all of this. See, this is my philosophy classes coming in my in my uh, my uh, you know causation. You know, you know, just because something happens doesn't mean it causes this over here. You know, it's just different things to talk about that I don't think we've talked about enough. So, Paul, you're you're sitting there uh, ready to finish up on on uh, uh, Arkansas. I can hear you hear you flipping through your pages there. Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. And, you know, if, if, if Rush can do it, so can you. Go ahead. Well, what I, uh, so to conclude, when you look at Arkansas, Arkansas is a very interesting state. 2.8 million people. Um, total number of deaths since January 1st is uh, roughly 340. And the governor is making decisions on a state that literally uh, ha- doesn't really have a problem, per se. Uh, when you look at the deaths per week on average uh, well, uh, in Arkansas, <clears throat> you're around 30 deaths a week. Uh, and that's over the last 14 weeks. And it used to be 20. It's gone up some. But the reason uh, it's gone up some is the cases, which used to be 500 a week, are now 5,000 a week. Okay. But that's and, a good thing. Yeah, and that's why... Actually, and, go, and, but here's... I want you to tell my listeners. Here's why there's more cases. You've you got to say, how much more testing are we doing? We're doing a ton more testing than we were at the very beginning. We didn't have a test at the very beginning. Well, the, the testing in Arkansas is now up to 50,000 tests a week. Okay. And it should be higher. And and the thing when when people get uh, to test now, they're free. Where before they used to charge them for it. So the reason there's more cases is because people who are marginal, who think they might have something, get tested because it doesn't cost them anything. And then if they're positive, if they have the virus, that's not a bad thing because if they didn't come in to take the test, they would still have the virus. The only difference is we know about them versus not knowing about them. So the virus is going to spread no matter what you do. Wouldn't it be better to have everyone tested so we could track it than to not know at all? So I wouldn't worry about the, the, uh, the, the uh, cases because when I look at the ratio, death to case, like we did for the United States, now we'll do right. it for Arkansas, you're actually below the average. Over the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks, you're either 1% or less than 1% deaths to known cases. Only one week did it spike. <clears throat> so Arkansas, 
what I what I would be telling the state is you want as many cases as you can because your death rate is so low. Let the people get infected. The death rate is low. Get it over with with Arkansas. Is Arkansas shut down, Dave? Are the businesses no. open or closed? They're bu- okay. Some well, businesses are basically open, although they've, they've got, like, uh, rules about how many people can be in a restaurant. Now they got it so that you got to wear a mask when you go in a restaurant until you sit down, and they put water in front of you, then you can take your mask off. It's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. Okay, but give see, but I would give the governor of Arkansas credit where, uh, I mean, one of his jobs is, you know, people, uh, safety, economy, health. I mean, there, there's things that the governor is supposed to do. I would at least say he has balanced it by not shutting down the state. Well, so yeah, you give we credit. talked about how good he had done uh, through the beginning of this. It was only till uh, Monday that he said it's a requirement to wear a mask in public. I think it'd be nice if you could talk to the governor and ask him why is he doing it, because the numbers actually say he doesn't need to. He's concerned, and I give him credit for that, but he's probably overreacting with the mask. And um, But i, I got to give him credit for – I mean, he's kept the economy open and operational. A lot of states have, have not. Yeah, but you're, you're not, right. But what I say to Arkansas in closing – your numbers look fantastic. Your death to case ratio is fantastic. Uh, your cases are going up, and you want that because that means people are getting tested. Everyone in Arkansas, everyone should get tested to see if you have it or not. Don't be afraid of the numbers. If you have it, it'll be gone in one or two weeks. It's mild. Go do it. Well, the other thing I would say is for the people who say one death is too many, are you out of your mind? Death happens. I mean, that may be harsh for some people to hear, but everybody who's listening to this is going to die. Everybody who eats pickles is going to die. Should we take pickles off the market? The answer to that, of course, is a resounding, of course, no. Uh, you know, everybody who's driving a car that's listening to the show today are going to die sometime. Does that mean... Well, you got to quit driving cars? Of course not. you got to put this stuff in perspective. You've allowed fear to dictate your reasoning, and you've got to stop doing that. Hey, by the way, Dave, driving cars, that's an interesting, uh, uh, just jumping really quick. <laughs> Point, no, no, listen to this. Driving cars, you have three times a greater chance of dying driving a car, 0.6% than you do dying from the coronavirus, 0.2%. And you're right, and we don't stop driving cars. Now, we need to all start walking again, riding horses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's fear, Paul. They've, everybody has gotten so freaked out, they're making bad judgment calls because of fear, and that's what fear does to people. Hey, thanks for being with us today, brother. I appreciate you. You always bring something good to the table. I was asked by Heidi, you went to the John Hopkins University to get numbers, and what was the other place that you went to to get your numbers? Worldometers. World-o-meters. If you go to Worldometers, you, you can actually look up daily information. So I went to two very reliable sources for this information. Okay, I'm going to put those on those uh, links on my Facebook again today for all of you say, oh, he's bending the numbers. No, he's not. 
No, he just, not me. Yeah, he's just giving. Yeah, he's giving you the numbers, and you don't like what you're hearing because you're living in fear. I'm just telling you, that's where it's at. I mean, I've seen people saying I'm dropping people from my Facebook because they don't believe exactly the way I believe in how I take the context of numbers out of context. Paul, thanks a lot. I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Dave. We'll talk to you later. Paul Cosma here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Little brother's done good, i got to tell you. We had a lot of great people went to Morehead State University. With that said, let me remind you, when we come back, it will be uh, Congressman French Hill joining us from Washington, D.C., on the Dave Ellswick Show. On the Dave Ellswick Show, you've got about uh, 56 minutes, 54 minutes to get yourself to work on time if you've got to be there by 8 o'clock. A lot of things have changed over the last few weeks as uh, far as that, that uh, goes. So uh, we will uh, uh, have some time uh, here this hour to deal with some big, big issues. First of all, joining us from Washington, D.C., is uh, Congressman French Hill. He is in Washington, uh, the home of dysfunction. Uh, when you got Na- when you got Nancy Pelosi uh, in in charge, dysfunction is uh, sure to follow quickly. And when you got uh, you know AOC and all the others that are up there, definitely dysfunction is going to be following uh, those folks around. Good morning, Congressman, and welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave, it's a treat to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Always. I, I, I love having you on. It's nice to have you on so that you can talk about a lot of the things that are that are going on uh, in Washington, D.C. Start off with the, the issue that everybody's hearing about, uh, round number four uh, for COVID-19. The, the president says uh, he's open to doing that. He wants to see checks go back out to Americans and, and things of that nature. But, Congressman, I'm, I'm going to be one of the, the Republicans that say, how much longer can we kind of just keep making up money and sending it out to people and know that we're going to have to pay it back? And it's not going to be our grandchildren. It's going to be our grandchildren's children that will probably be paying this money back. Yeah, Dave, it's a good question, and we talked about it in our conference meeting this week. I rose to speak to my colleagues uh, this week, urging uh, caution in trying to design this uh, next bill, which we've worked on since May. We've been consulting with the senators. We've been visiting with the private sector. We've been talking to our hospitals, our schools, our governors, all in preparation to look for what? The gap that we need to be concerned about after spending 29 trillion dollars at the end of April, where not all that money is even out in the economy. 
Now, this has nothing to do with the Federal Reserve or the Treasury's extraordinary process. I'm talking about appropriated money that's gone to our hospitals, our schools, our governors, our families through uh, payment for testing, payment for 14 days of quarantine, payment for uh, the tax rebate checks, the enhanced unemployment. These are all things that we put in place during this emergency because the public health people told us, you know, gosh, this will last about three months and then it'll go away. Well, I think we're resigned to the fact that it's not going away until we have vaccines. So we have to look for those gaps. And I was shocked when Leader McConnell said that, uh, you know, well, he's going to basically start at a trillion dollars. Well, the Democrats don't start. That's like an opening ante for them. Right. Yeah, it's like throwing a quarter in the pot in a Friday night poker game. Yeah, but I don't want people to be cynical about this. I mean, we do need to take steps to make sure our economy reopens and our schools can reopen safely and sensibly so kids can get back to learning. Our kids are so much at risk when they're drifting, when they don't have in-class instruction. They're at risk for child abuse, for behavioral health challenges. Our special ed kids and our dyslexic kids don't get the extra tutoring and care they need. And so uh, that's why the American Academy of Pediatrics says children are better off in school and all the side benefits of them being in school for both parents and for kids are also a major health issue that we have to take into account. So I do appreciate uh, looking at our education sector, particularly if there's something else the federal government should support our governors and our school superintendents. Well, let's talk about this just a little bit. Big study came out yesterday between Sweden and Norway. Norway closed their schools down during the pandemic there, and Sweden did not. And when all was said and done, the uh, final look at the numbers showed that both of them had the exact same amount of uh, people who came down with the disease and Mm -hmm. a death rate as well. It Mm -hmm. didn't matter because young people are, you know, between 1 and 19 are not being affected by this disease to the extent that somebody who's 65 and above is being affected by this disease. Right. And I think we've seen that in in shutdowns, too. We've seen infection rates similar in states with with had complete shutdowns or states that were quasi opened up like Arkansas. The issue was trying to manage through that infection, manage through that hospitalization. Bending the curve was not avoiding the disease. Bending the curve was allowing public health officials and hospital and medical care and families to cope with the disease. So it did not uh, take over the entire an entire town. So we're living with this disease now. We know a lot more today in July than we knew back in March. We know how to personally protect ourselves. We know how to open our business. We know how to uh, deal with it. And we need to deal with it. That's the bottom line until we get this uh, vaccine. Well, we know people are going to still get this disease, uh, Congressman. And I'm, I'm, I'm of the belief that if you're still going to get the disease, there's a chance that you're going to get the There's a chance. I want everybody to understand there's a chance. And sooner or later, every, the herd mentality says everybody will have had the disease. 
The bottom line is quit acting in fear as though you can avoid the disease. You can't avoid it forever. It's you're going everybody. I don't know of anybody I've ever talked to haven't had the flu at least once. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, we're learning so much more. We've got three over three million people in Arkansas. We've had we've got just over. 30,000 cases right now, and we've had uh, just under 400 deaths. Um, and we're doing testing at better than probably more than half the states are testing. Uh, we need to speed up the turnaround. That's something we're trying to help the governor on. But we are getting testing. We're at 15,000 per 100,000 now. That's in the top quartile of states testing. Proud of that effort. And we just need to tell people to not be living in paralysis here. If you have yeah. comorbidities or if you're over, you know, certainly an older person or live in a congregate living setting, you should be very attentive to how this disease spreads. But I don't want our families to be in paralysis here. We want to work collectively, starting at the family unit to the work, to school, um, to learn to live with the disease, and we do that by wearing a mask when we can't socially distance and using proper hygiene. <clears throat> and this is what we did in 1918. I mean, um, your listeners can Google uh, campaigning in 1918 or going to school in 1918 or sports in 1918, and you'll see all the efforts made by towns around America to stop the spread of the disease, which then, in that particular terrible uh, flu, the Spanish flu, killed young people. We lost a whole generation yeah. of young people to World War One and uh, disease that, that period, that couple of years. All right. So let's talk about some things that are getting done uh, up in Washington, D.C. First, the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, as it's called. Go ahead right. and tell us where we're at. Well, this one is a, um, a bill that gets worked on every year. This is the authorizing bill. This is what sets the goals and abilities and structure for our national defense, including the new Space Force. It's always typically been a bipartisan bill. It's been signed into law 59 years in a row. Last year, Ms. Pelosi uh, uh, tried to blow it up over uh, border security, and she got hammered. She lost it. Uh, the Senate ended up passing a bill that we could all support, so she delayed it last year, but she didn't stop it. This year, the bill is generally, I would say, uh, bipartisan. I voted for it last night. It supports um, all of our major national defense concerns that we have in the country. It has a pay raise for our troops in it. It uh, funds uh, our important training out at Little Rock Air Force Base, the C-130 program. Uh, it has my SAVE Act in it. Uh, which I propose to make us less dependent on vaccines and medical supplies from around the uh, world and make, make sure we have more domestic control over our important medical supplies. So the bill's got a lot of good things in it, and I was uh, pleased to support it. All right. That's a, a good piece of uh, legislation. It, like you said, it's done every year, and it has to do with national defense. Was uh, Just a, a side question before we go to our first break. Uh, how did things change in that uh, uh, authorization act for our defense dealing with China? Well, that's a uh, very good question, and it has a couple of key issues in there. Um, first of all, it uh, barred uh, federal employees from ever downloading TikTok. I got a big 
kick out of that uh, <laughs> on any government-issued device. So that's sending a message. Uh, I thought that was good. <clears throat> it also included our Indo-Pacific Reassurance Initiative. We passed a couple of years ago the China Sea uh, Reassurance Initiative. It talks about the U.S. posture with our partners uh, in the Indo-Pacific region with India, with uh, our other South Asian partners. It also uh, prohibits the reduction of force in South Korea uh, below uh, 28,500 troops unless the Pentagon certifies it's in the U.S. Uh, interest. And this is, again, dealing with the issues surrounding China and North Korea's lack of coming to the table to reduce their nuclear threat. So there's some key issues in there on China, in addition to what I discussed on the medical supply chain. All right. When we come back, the Great American Outdoors Act, I'll ask you about that. And then you wrote an op-ed for the Arkansas Catholic Magazine or paper. Uh, we'll ask why you did that when we return. Our special guest is Congressman French Hill from District 2 here in central Arkansas. And he's on the Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about P.I. Roofing. P.I. Roofing is ready to take care of any problems you have with your house on your roof. They uh, started off just as a, a husband and wife team, and they would drive through the neighborhoods, and they could look at the roofs and tell which roofs of which houses had probably some problems, had some leaks. And uh, they started, they, they picked up the moniker of uh, the roof leak detectives, and they still carry that with them and wear it as a badge of pride because when they come and you call them and they come out and walk your roof, they will identify all the problems that you have with your roof, if you have any. They're not going to make those problems up. If you've got problems, they'll tell you what they are, and then they'll work with your insurance company. You know, the appraiser comes out from the insurance company, and they got to be able to show the problems to the appraisers. And the appraisers, they, they've got all the information at their fingertips as well, and they've seen, you know, bad, you know, plywood under uh, roofs and bad shingles and bad felt and all the different components that there is uh, for your roof. And they uh, either say, yeah, that needs to be fixed or no, there's not a problem there. So uh, PI Roofing will walk through all of that with you. You can get them on the case of your house just by calling them 707-3551, 707-3551, or by, of course, uh, getting on uh, the internet at piroofing.com. Joel and Veronica and their crew uh, will do everything necessary to keep social distancing and making sure that their crew stays healthy and your family stays healthy. It's PI Roofing. It's the folks that I've used several times for my roof. Uh, you know, I had a whole new roof put on by them, and then they've been out to my house after uh, some of the. Uh, now, satellite TV places didn't refill holes when they took uh, dishes down and things of that nature. It's uh, PI Roofing, uh, 707-3551 or piroofing.com. 23 minutes after 7, and our special guest is, of course, our congressman from District 2, French Hill. Good to have him with us. And uh, we're talking about uh, what's going up, uh, going on up in Washington, D.C. He is in D.C. right now. And we talked about the Defense Act just a moment ago. Uh, now let's talk about something else that's going on, and, and that is uh, this uh, deal with uh, what's called the 
uh, Great American Outdoors Act. Uh, bring us up to date what that's all about, if you would, Congressman. Well, for years, uh, Americans have treasured their national parks and their wildlife areas since they were first initiated back under Theodore Roosevelt and early 20th century leaders. And people love traveling to them, but if you go to Yellowstone or if you go to Yosemite or go to Hot Springs, Arkansas, or even the Buffalo National River, you'll see there is a maintenance backlog of structures and roads and bathrooms and facilities for visitors. And so this bill resolves that issue. Seventy percent of the Great American Outdoor Act will go to repairing those backlog maintenance issues out in our national forests and national parks. It's just over um, a little over a billion dollars a year that it will be used, but it comes from the offshore oil leasing revenue that we have in the United States, which... Wait, 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 let me stop you. Offshore leasing, we charge people to drill? The United States actually charges uh, them? (laughs) And Democrats vote for it. So uh, go figure that out. You'll spend all day working on that puzzle. (laughs) But uh, the extraction of natural resources on public lands goes back to the taxpayers of the country. The exact intent of our Interior Department and the uh, Congresses of way over 100 years ago that said the American people would reap the results of careful stewardship of the land. And uh, this oil and gas leasing royalty income that comes back into the uh, federal treasury, this tiny part of it will go to preparing uh, those capital maintenance challenges uh, for our national park system. And that's something that got over 70 votes in the Senate. And I expect it will pass in a strong bipartisan way here in the House today. All right. That sounds fantastic. Last thing I want to talk about this op-ed that you wrote uh, for the Arkansas Catholic. And China is back on the front burner again with us. Uh, Let me just read the headline for this op-ed. Chinese government sees the Catholic Church as the enemy. If you've not been following what's going on in China, uh, the Chinese government now has been Uh, going after Christian believers and making them take down their crosses and uh, different things and putting up pictures of Chinese leaders instead of pictures of Jesus Christ. And they now see the Catholic Church as a problem. They see Muslims as problems. There's There's an area of China that in the last decade has decreased by almost 80 percent and there are now pictures surfacing of trains that people are getting on and they disappear and i'm telling you uh congressman china ain't what it was 30 years ago they had some they were they were given uh, freedom of religion to some extent not anymore no they their openness is over um And many Americans know about their persecution of the Dalai Lama and in Tibet. They've read recently about the Uyghurs, the Muslim population in the western part of China that's now being trained to relocation and retraining camps. Mm -hmm. That sounds awful familiar. Oh, yeah. And the New York Times, uh, as much as I despise the New York Times editorial page, their international reporting on this is shocking. They've gotten pictures out. They've gotten eyewitness accounts. 
and you'd think you were reading about something in 1942 in Poland or Germany. It's, yes. it's appalling. But this issue with uh, the Catholic Church is that all Christian believers, the Chinese government has announced they're going to rewrite the Bible, rewrite it, retranslate it, and all religious texts, and that includes the Koran uh, and the Torah, they're rewriting our religious texts so that they can be Sinoicized, meaning Sino as in China. Uh-huh. They want to remove anything that's offensive to the state or to the Chinese Communist Party. And this is going on openly now. Uh, and I hope that uh, the Catholic Church will be a leader among Christian uh, faith communities in opposing this and being outspoken against it. And that was the reason I wrote the editorial. Yeah, well, rightly so, and thank you for writing that and for your uh, being, and let me use a current term, being woke uh, to this this particular subject because it sure looks to me like we're repeating history in China uh, that went on in Nazi Germany. So it's something to keep our eyes peeled and open about. Well, we should all keep go our, ahead. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes peeled on all offenses to people's ability to exercise their freedom of religion, whether it's Absolutely. here in the U.S. or around the world. And I appreciate you, Dave. Thank you very much, Congressman. You have a great day in Washington, D.C. All right, Congressman French Hill here uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show. I I promise you, next week we'll do an hour on this. It it is very, very disturbing what's happening in China. And just because it's happening, for the most part, to Muslims, although the Christians are, are being persecuted, the Muslims look like they're being shipped out and uh, being done away with. Uh, We'll talk about that next week. I I need to get some special guests on for that, so I'll set it up. All right, time for Rush. Let's get to Rush. He's got his minute update for us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue Dave Ellswick Show. If uh, you need to be at work at 8 o'clock, you got 25 minutes to make it there. 7.35 right now on the dot uh, here in central Arkansas, looking at... uh, Temperatures around the area, let me give you some of those so that you'll have them. Uh, As we look in Cabot, it's 77 degrees right now in uh, Little Rock. uh, As I bring up my material here, uh, we're looking at about 78 degrees with the uh, heat indexes that that are out there right now. Uh, The real field temperature in the central Arkansas area is in the uh, mid to uh, upper 80s. And by the end of today, uh, we'll be around 100 degrees by the, um, the end of the day. Uh, those, those thunderstorms you heard uh, Melinda Mayo talk about coming in in, in uh, the evening, towards the evening, about 25% today. That's, that's typical for us here in Arkansas. You get about 25% chance of a, of a thunderstorm, of a pop-up thunderstorm every day just because of the high humidity in our area. Uh, Tonight, uh, they're saying that our chances of a thunderstorm early on uh, before 9 o'clock is about 55%, but they're saying that uh, the amount of rain is only about uh, uh, five-tenths of an inch, so not a lot of uh, rain getting out here, but uh, I'm 
I kind of want a little rain because it's getting kind of dusty because it's been dry so much. But I don't I don't want to have a lot of rain. You know, I'm I'm real I'm real picky about this uh, for Dave Ellswick's uh, weather uh, during the day. I like to see it sunshiny. If it's going to rain, let it do so after the sun goes down as far as I'm concerned. All right. So I, I wanted I got a piece that was sent to me from uh, Wayne Beach. Uh, and, you know, Wayne, Wayne was on with me on Saturday at the Arkansas GOP uh, state convention. And here's what's been going down, just so you'll know. Uh Everybody is, uh, I'm not going to say everybody, a lot of people are concerned because uh, they say there's too many people that are getting uh, the COVID-19 virus. I I don't feel that way. Uh, The mortality rate is low on this. I mean, if it was if it was five percent, I would be saying, wow, yeah, go out and buy yourself what is that a. an N95 mask or something so you don't have to worry about it. And, and, and that's hard to get a hold of because they just want uh, health care workers to have it so that it really does you some good. But the bottom line is this. Most people are living in fear right now. There's a lot of people living in fear. I see it on Facebook. I see people saying, uh, you know, telling their fellow you know, friends on Facebook, you're not wearing a mask. You don't care about other people. You don't care about elderly people and yada, yada, yada. And it's not true. It isn't true. So to make my point, I'm going to play this YouTube uh, video for you. It's about four minutes long, and I want you to listen to it because you're breathing in tons of stuff every day. Stuff that can kill you, literally can kill you, microbes that uh, can kill you. But we are wondrously made. Man is wondrously made. Bible tells us that. And we've all been given uh, an immune system. And it does a great job of uh, protecting you. So without further ado here, for you that are afraid of the COVID-19 virus. If that's the case, then you should live your life in a hazmat suit. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you because listen to this. Thanks to Brilliant for supporting this episode of SciShow. Go to brilliant.org slash SciShow to learn more. Growing up, you may have heard that you can catch a cold in the rain. And it turns out there's some truth to that idea. See, pathogenic organisms, stuff like viruses and bacteria that can give plants and animals diseases, do rain down on us all the time, with or without the help of water. But the situation isn't so dire that you're likely to get sick from going outside. Yet. According to a 2015 study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, we may inhale thousands of microbes per hour when we're breathing in, quote, fresh air. These organisms come from almost anything you can think of. Soil, bodies of water, even the surfaces of plants and buildings. And they're not necessarily from the immediate vicinity. Winds, splashing waters, rising smoke, and many human activities can dislodge microorganisms from their dwelling places and launch them into the air. Once afloat, they can snag onto small particles like dust and travel way up into the atmosphere. 
into a region known as the planetary boundary layer. And there, they can move thousands of kilometers with the air masses they're suspended in, across whole continents and oceans. Eventually, though, they fall back down, either in rain or when the particles they're associated with finally settle. And scientists estimate that hundreds of millions of viruses and tens of millions of bacteria rain down in this manner on every square meter of this planet every day. And that's not the worst part. See, scientists say these globe-trotting microbes can spread diseases around the globe. For example, in 2004, a pathogen that infects plants traveled from Asia to the United States thanks to a hurricane. And a 2003 paper published in Bioscience suggests that the global transport of dust could be sprinkling pathogens onto coral reefs. Poor coral reefs, they just can't catch a break, can they? Luckily, if you're a human, you probably don't have to worry too much about it. Most of these microorganisms moving around in this way are considered harmless, though not all of them. Scientists have found potential pathogens like staph in the dust that settles after storms and during dust events. And in some cases, they think wind patterns can explain disease outbreaks. For example, in 2011, researchers found that epidemics of Kawasaki disease correlated with wind currents that swept from Asia to the North Pacific. Kawasaki disease is an illness that causes inflammation in the blood vessels, particularly in kids. And the weird thing is, we don't actually know which pathogen is responsible. So the wind pattern connection, while not definitive, could be an important clue for medical researchers trying to better understand the disease. Also, even if there's no immediate link between human disease-causing pathogens and the billions upon billions of microbes falling from the sky every day, there could be soon. See, the whole situation is probably getting worse with climate change. Scientists think it's likely that even more dust and microbes will float into our atmosphere in the coming decades thanks to things like increased desertification and more intense weather events. So while you might not catch a cold or other disease from the rain in the near future, the possibility is only increasing. Researchers have to use a lot of really complex math to figure out how pathogens move around in clouds and how that might change in the future. And that math is something everyone can learn with Brilliant.org. See, Brilliant offers dozens of courses that cover topics in science, engineering, computer science, and math. Their differential equations two course dies... All right, so there you go. All right. Brilliant.org, or, or go to the website. You can see stuff like that. I just played that for you because I'm thinking about opening up a new business, Heidi. You're going to love this. I think that I'm going to make hazmat suits in, uh, like looking like regular clothes so that you can put it on during the day and be cool, uh, you know, walking around. You can look cool. I make, make the pants kind of look like uh, blue jeans and get the top. You know, some, you know, maybe a muscle shirt for a guy or whatever, uh, you know, and then you can paint on the abs because you probably don't have any. And you'll be you'll be really cool because everybody evidently needs a hazmat suit to 100 percent to the best of their abilities, protect themselves from all the microbes and germs and whatnot that's in our atmosphere. Just trying to breathe some real-life thought into these arguments of people who are so scared that they're going to get something, all right? You're going to, you know, we used to say that was being a hypochondriac. Now we, we seem to uh, celebrate people like that that have unreasonable fears about getting sick. 
All right, that's enough for that. I'll uh, get that to Elizabeth, put it on my Facebook page so you can share it with all of your friends and say, chill, all right, chill. Because the bottom line, as I said when Paul Cosmo was on with me during the first hour, is that no one, as, as Jim Morrison said, no one gets out of here alive. Unless you happen to be, uh, you know, depending on your eschatology, if you believe in the rapture, uh, then maybe you do. But for the most part, no one gets out of here alive. It's a quarter to eight. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, I'll be back with more when we continue on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, $287,619 is a lot of money. And what would you do with that extra money in retirement? What would you do with $287,000 and change? Uh, That's how much a Little Rock couple could save in taxes with their IRA and 401k, thanks to the tax planning strategies that David Lucas Financial has right here in Little Rock. You can learn exactly how much money you could save with a free retirement tax analysis. And to get that, all you have to do is have saved more than $250,000 for retirement. Be one of the first 10 callers right now to schedule this free analysis by calling 501-222-3315. If you have an IRA or a 401k, learn how much money in taxes you could save by calling that number again, 501-222-3315. Let me repeat it one more time. Can people say I say the phone numbers too fast? 501-222-3315. Investment advisory services are offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. And you hear him here on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, quite often. And I have him on not only in his commercials, but he joins me and we talk in depth about these things. And it's stuff that you need to keep in mind so that you'll be ready for retirement. If you're in your 40s and you're not preparing for your retirement, you're making some very, very serious mistakes. You need to be doing it. In fact, if you're in your 20s and you're not putting away uh, at least some kind of percentage of your pay uh, into maybe a Roth 401k, you're making a mistake. You need to. Uh, You know, Albert Einstein used to say the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. Put it to your uh, work for you uh, by uh, getting and doing what David Lucas suggests uh, on, uh, you know, the uh, his show that you hear on Saturdays here at 10 uh, in the morning. All right. So uh, big stories that have been going on uh, here in the. the country. China is now threatening retaliation after the United States uh, boots uh, Houston consulate over IP threat, th- uh, theft. China has been stealing stuff for decades and we've not done anything about it. It's time that we, you know, the love affair between us and China, I believe, is, is over. And uh, we can't allow them to keep uh, this whole thing going on of of, well, it's just the way China does business. Uh, That doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't uh, uh, cut it. Uh, The blah, blah, Blasio, the mayor of uh, New York, uh, 
uh, uh, got mocked yesterday. A huge banner uh, was unfurled over one of the major expressways and uh, showing that the frustration with the mayor is reaching a boiling point. Uh, the banner was unfurled over the Staten Island Expressway, which is a very busy expressway to say the the the, the least. The banner showed the Democrat Democrat wearing a T-shirt of the late Marxist revolutionary Che and holding the severed head of uh, Lady Liberty. "Quote: It's what he's doing to New York. He's severing the head of the greatest city on earth," said the artist behind the banner. And he made that that uh, to to the New York uh, Post. New York has turned into a blank hole because of this guy. He hates true New Yorkers, police officers, firefighters, people who have built this city. So uh, people bringing some things out, uh, uh, information people needs to go. All right, so... uh, Potential Biden VP pick, says Sanders' campaign has significant influence in drafting the DNC platform. Let me explain what they're saying. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, a potential uh, vice presidential pick for presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden, who's in charge of drafting the party's 2020 platform, said yesterday that the campaign for former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has a significant influence in writing the platform. This is, these are the core principal beliefs of uh, the Democrat Party. Lance Bottoms, who is the chair of the DNC platform drafting committee, lauded the fact multiple sections of the party are represented in uh, creating Uh, the document that will convey its uh, official policy positions ahead of the 2020 election. Quote, what I most appreciated about the composition of the platform committee is that there was representation not just from the Biden campaign, but also from Sanders' campaign, and really a coming together of so many people who may have supported other candidates but have all aligned to work to create a platform that really reflects the best of who we are and the policies that reflect what we want across America. And I believe that that platform will do just that. All right, the same thing can be said for the state platform of the Democrats and of the Republicans. Uh, both of them draft our, our, our state parties, draft up our platforms for the state, and then the national party drafts up the platform uh, for uh, on the national. Uh, what is missing in the uh, state platform for the Democrats uh, here in Arkansas, but is front and center in the platform for the Republicans. If you listen Saturday, you know uh, it's God. In fact, in the Republican platform, God Almighty, first principle of the Republican Party of Arkansas is that we believe in the faith in God Almighty. God is not even mentioned in the state platform of the Democrats. And if you're a believer and you're okay with that, I need. I think you need to go back and uh, uh, check your belief system stuff uh, as far as that's uh, going on. 
Uh, a GOP senator urges the federal government to block taxpayer funds for states and cities allowing anarchy. And why wouldn't they? We're, why would we take uh, taxpayers' money and pour it into Portland, Oregon right now? I think they should cut off all uh, support to them right now and do it with your, your, your state money that you got. If the, if the people of the state of, Port, of uh, Portland or of Oregon want to put up with what's going on in Portland, that's up to them. But as a United States citizen, I say if you're not going to uphold law and uh, order, you need, to, you need to move on. And then finally, uh, Human Health Secretary Alex Azar announced that uh, there is a historic COVID-19 vaccine deal with Pfizer uh, uh, going on right now. There's going to be millions of dollars uh, given to Pfizer uh, to produce this vaccine as soon uh, as the, uh, the phase three testing is done. So it looks like uh, we're, we're going to be sitting pretty good uh, with a vaccine here maybe before the very end of the year. Because I have to tell you, I think that nobody uh, on the side that are so scared of this thing are going to have any doubts that they're safe until a vaccine is out there. But they're not taking into consideration some important facts about that. Things like how many people will take it. You're not going to make people line up and inoculate everybody. I mean, during flu season, you're, you're good if you're getting 50%. Just saying. You can't. It's not just going to go away. It's not going to happen. All right, Joe and Duck will be with me when we come back. The car guys, the gurus will be here. The Obi-Wan Kenobis of car repairs will join us on the Dave Ellswick Show. the Dave Ellswick Show. It is, uh, if you're listening on the radio, it's after 6 o'clock in the evening. We record this segment uh, early in the morning. So um, if the world is on fire and coming to an end, don't blame me. All right, so um, we're going we're gonna to get on and, and talk to Joe and Duck today. It's a Wednesday, so uh, car questions. By the way, if you have a car question, uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show, you can email me during the course of the week. I'm going to work with uh, Salem to get carguys.salemlr.com okayed so people can send me questions that way. But right now, just send them to Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R.com, and we'll get them, and then I'll ask them on uh, any given Wednesday coming up after your question gets here. Back in the saddle again, 
to coin an Aerosmith song, is uh, Duck. Duck has been uh, on vacation. It's good to have him back. He was sending me pictures of buffalo and all kinds of stuff while he was gone. So he went across the Great West out uh, up north across Wyoming and Montana. You went into uh, Yellowstone. All of Yellowstone's not open yet, is it, Duck? The whole park's open now. Oh, the whole park is open. Good. Even camping's open, too. Okay, so everything is open. So were you able to stay in the park while you were there? No, we stayed in Cody, you know, the town of Cody right outside the park. That's a great place. We had made a reservation to stay at the KOA campground, so we stayed there. All right, now, did you go in town? At Co- See, people have to understand, Cody is where they have every year. I don't know if they're going to have it this year or not because of this whole COVID-19 stuff. They have the uh, the big-time rodeo uh, for the yep. whole United States, basically. And you go to Cody, and uh, there's a, a, a saloon there that's been around since the old, old west. And you want to get a good steak? Get a steak there. It's really good. They was probably at Old Faithful Day. They was probably six or seven thousand people there seeing it. Fantastic! Everybody's standing. That's pretty cool to see, isn't it? It is. If you've never seen it before in person, it's totally different seeing it in person. Yeah, it is. Did you go to the uh, to the new uh, uh, big building that they built there that made out of all those big uh, logs and everything? The yeah, lodge? that's at the, what they call the Fish Camp Lodge. Yeah, we it's went there beautiful. and looked around and uh, went into the, the gift shop and stuff. It's a total different world than what it is around here. <laughs> and as you it's... were talking about earlier a while ago, you can see for miles. Yes, you can. Yes, you There's can. no trees. It really brings to mind, and, and Joe, you've been up there. I know, uh, I don't. was it last year that you went to Yellowstone or the year before? It was two years ago, Dave. Yeah, you went up uh, through Idaho is what you did, and, and here's the thing. Yep. You get up there, and you get a real feel about how people felt about freedom in that area because when you stand and you don't see anybody around you for as far as you can see, you go, wow, yeah, I could live my own life here and not have to worry about it. You know, it's it's really an amazing experience up in that part of the country. And the people are different, even, in the way that uh, they live their lives. You're exactly right. It's wide open up there. And uh, folks up there have a little bit different attitude about things. They're not crowded in. and <laughs> They're just more relaxed and easy, you know. Yeah, I I agree with that. So how how many did you get up close to a buffalo? You normally when you go to Old Faithful somewhere out in the parking lot, there's buffalo hanging out. No, they wasn't none hanging out there, but they were right outside the park. But now nah, I didn't get out of the, I didn't get out of the jeep. We had well, one stick his head in the jeep on Teresa. Did she pet it? <laughs> no, she tried to crawl up in my lap. I kept telling her scoot over and get off of me. <laughs> You don't realize how big a buffalo is until it comes up next to you. That's a big animal. Oh, he got a big old head on him. I mean, a yeah. humongous head on him. Yeah, and, and you he know, was being, Dave, did you see, he's being nice. Did you see where the woman, the woman got out in the field messing with him and slipped and fell? I've I no, seen I, that field in uh, 
There's a big old sign up there to tell you, do not get out of your vehicle. Well, people, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because they've been watching Disney nature films or what, think that the animals are domesticated. They think that those buffalo, you know, I guess go to a barn in the night and they feed them and stuff. That's not what happens. Those are wild animals that are out there. Yeah, they just run free. Yeah, and they really don't particularly care for humans unless they're hungry and they know that you'll throw them some marshmallows or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just telling you. All right, you guys ready for you ready for a uh, uh, a, a car question? Yeah, yeah. All right. Craig has a 2013 Honda Fit. Uh, it's a four-cylinder, 1.5-liter engine in it. He's asking a question that I think a lot of people ask at times, guys. Uh, not all uh, people who are reputable uh, technicians are reputable. You know what I'm saying? There, there are some people out there that will try to take advantage of people, and you need to be wary of that, and that's why it's important that you go see a technician that you've gone to for uh, a, a long length of time. He says, I took my car to a repair shop because the check engine light came on. They checked it, and it was a catalytic converter. They charged me $1,134 for everything, the part and labor. On my receipt, it says they put in two parts a direct fit converter, and an oxygen sensor. Looking up online, it should cost no more than $300 for both parts. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say, look, you can go online and find crap online that costs nothing, uh, but when you start looking at converters, uh, catalytic converters, you're talking expensive pieces of equipment. I know that for a fact with my own car. But on my receipt, they charged me $877 just for parts. Did I get ripped off? Well, I've kind of started the discussion on this. Let's talk. Let's start with uh, let's start with Duck. What do you say, Joe? Since he's been off, it's time for him to talk some. What is your take sure. on this, Duck? Well, it's just like you said, Dave. You can find a cheap converter, but they always don't work. You can find converters for $75 nowadays, but just because they're $75 don't mean there's, it's the right converter for your vehicle. A good converter is about six to $700 for a good converter. Well, people you don't... know that, Dave, because you, you needed them. Yeah, well, here's the key. People don't understand what's in a converter. Let me just turn over to Joe. Joe, there's a ton of precious metals in those converters. That's why uh, people break into your yard at times and Duck's yard and, and cut converters off of cars because those metals are in there, correct? Yep, people steal them all the time because they're right now that they're up as far as the... Uh, salvage price on them but the difference between a $300 converter and an $800 converter is exactly how much precious metals is in there because the more the precious metals the more efficient the converter is so you can have one on there that may be doing all it can but if it doesn't keep it within the right parameters for that programming and that year making model of car still going to turn the light on even though the converter is brand new because it is not a good converter. It's a cheap version of one. 
and and those precious metals that we're you know that we're talking about titanium and other things they can get hotter than uh, less expensive metals get is that not correct yeah average temperature of a converter is about 1500 degrees and if it doesn't get up to that temperature it's not going to burn the unburned fuel that's in the exhaust and therefore it's going to set a code for catalytic converter efficiency because the front o2's reading how much fuel's left in there goes through the converter and then the rear o2's reading it and they have to be less in the rear than it is in the front and there is a set of parameters that has to fall within that window if it does not fall inside that window it's going to set a code for catalytic converter efficiency and then you're going to be right back to the shop mad at them because they put the cheap converter on it and you still got the same problem, correct, Joe? Absolutely. You can't take a $300 converter and make it as efficient as an $800 one. There's no way. No way. It can. It will not happen. That's correct. It, it's, it's like buying a Chevrolet Cobalt versus a Cadillac. Absolutely. <laughs> the Cadillac's going to ride a whole lot better than the Cobalt does. So Dave, I'm going to say no. He did not. He he got he got what he needed to make sure his car run like it's supposed to run and not turn the check engine light on. Yeah, they they put That's a correct. decent converter in that car. You know, you can go. I'm just telling you, people can go on the World Wide Web and find a a piece of trash that they think they're going to be saving money on when in fact. That's not the case at all. All right, time for our first break. Let's get our first break in here on uh, this edition of the Dave Ellswick Show with uh, Joe and Duck. It's good to have Duck back. He's uh, he's sounding all bright and spry. He got relaxed. He went out and had a good time out in the Wild West. We'll talk more about as we go along on the show here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. Continuing our discussion with uh, Joe Sharp from over at uh, uh, Joe's Garage on uh, Crystal Hills Road in North Little Rock. And uh, we got Don Godsey, better known as Duck, from Duck's Garage over in Benton, over by uh, where the old airfield is at over there. Uh, Both of these guys have been around for a long time. Don't want to make them sound real old, but they are. And they've got all kinds of, uh, you know, background uh, that they need to be able to fix, experience that they need to be able to fix your cars. I want to ask this question from uh, Connie on a 2003 Nissan. And then, Duck, I want you to talk about some things going on with some big diesel 18-wheelers. Connie says, my car will squeal badly when I start the car and then quit. Uh, I start and the squealing uh, goes again and then quits randomly when i'm driving the squealing will start and then the gas feed will stop working when the squealing stops about 30 seconds or so the gas feed will start back it does this randomly but often uh what's going on is this something wrong with my serpentine pulley or is it a bad belt which well, one do you want to go first uh, I'll shoot at it here in a minute and see if Duck okay. agrees with me. I uh, I think the problem with that car is one of two things. Either the belt's stretched out or the tensioner's bad. 
or both. You need to look at the belt. If it's cracked and old and worn, you need to put a new belt on it. But you need to check that spring, make sure that it's got enough tension to hold that belt tight. I think the reason she loses her accelerator is because the belt is slipping, the alternator is not charging, it's low voltage detected. That'll take the accelerator yep. away till it picks back up and starts charging again. What do you think, Doug? I I think the same thing. You need to look at the belt. They they make a little old gauge you can stick in them serpentine grooves and tell you if they're wore out, but I'd lay you odds it's probably got a hundred thousand miles and never had a belt put on it. Yep, and probably got a weak tensioner too. Yeah, I just think so. You need a new tensioner and a new belt put on it and you'll solve all your problems. And now check your battery to make sure your battery's good. Hey, check this yep. out. It's only the car's only seventeen years old. Is that all? <laughs> that's that's all. Two thousand and three. Sometimes you got to make repairs on them. You can't drive them forever without doing them. <laughs> yeah, I. A lot of people think you should be able to. My whole thing was oh, it yeah. seemed like the re- repairs always came up at the most inopportune times. All right, Duck, you were telling yes. us a story during the break. I'd like you to relate it to to our listeners. Go ahead. You know, we was, the guy was asking about the price of the converter. You know, for his car. I got a company out of North Little Rock that has two Bob trucks, and they have stowed all the exhaust off of both of them. Wow. And That's not cheap, is it? Uh, it's about, uh, well, they finished the first one last week. I got all the parts ordered for the second one. It's supposed to be over the day on the record. It's about $6,000 to fix it. Woo. Ouch. Because Ouch. some of that stuff has to come from international, the only place you can get it. Yeah, understand that's two trucks. That's twelve grand. That's not chicken yeah. feed. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm having to deal with the guy's insurance, and you know they're 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 wanting to put the cheap exhaust on it, and I told them that's fine, but y'all going to warranty it. If y'all make me put it on it, y'all going to pay warranty on it because if I put that cheap exhaust on it, it's going to be just like that guy's talking. You know, we was talking earlier. It's not going to run right. It's not going to work like it's supposed to. The parameters are going to be off. And then they're going to be back at me screaming and hollering. So I told the insurance company, and so they decided, no, go ahead and put what needs to be on it. Hmm. Yeah, you can't warranty that's cheap stuff. No, that's that's what I told the insurance company. Did they come back and say they'd send you a letter or something to add to to their, uh, uh, you know, receipt? No, a customer raised cane, and I, I repaired it like it's supposed to be done. Huh? Good. Good. I, I put all you, new international stuff on it. Very good, because that's what they're supposed to do. They're not supposed to be sitting there and say, well, we, you can use off-the-market stuff and uh, use that and, uh, and and get the same kind of work uh, out of your, your engine as you could if you used the the new stuff from the, 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 the people who made the engine. Well, I'll tell you what I found out, Dave. The guy that the adjuster they sent out there, uh-huh. he has never he has never adjusted on a big truck. He always done cars and pickups. Oh, okay. So once I got him trained, it was easier a whole lot then. Believe me, in my past, I have dealt with adjusters, haven't we, Joe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've more than dealt, once more than once we've we've had to deal with adjusters it's it's crazy so what do you say to 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 your your clientele about uh insurance uh joe and duck do you do you have to have this conversation with them from time to time 
Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. We we have that conversation on a regular basis with some warranty aftermarket warranty companies. Ah. And these aftermarket warranty companies are like insurance companies. But what they're trying to do in the industry today is if you own a, a car and they you get those phone calls, your factory warranty's up, buy this from us, it'll protect you bumper to bumper. Don't believe that. You need to read that contract. They don't cover any maintenance items, none whatsoever. And what they're starting to do now, and I know Duck has seen this too, where they want to send you their part and have you put their part on. And they want to buy that yep. part from the cheapest place they can. So they don't have to put out as much money out of pocket, but they expect the installer to stand there and say, I'm going to take that. No, we're not taking that. I'm not putting on anybody's part other than the one that I sell them. And I'll warranty that part. If I put on something that doesn't belong on that vehicle, there's zero warranty period. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, you, you know what's good. I, well, yeah. Well, the, the it's, problem it's, you Go ahead, Go Joe. Ahead. Well, the Go problem ahead, you run into, they want you to warranty their part. You know, they, they expect we are to warranty their part if they're sending us, and we're not making no money on it to warranty it. That's, That's exactly right. right. You know, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a fair deal. And, I, you know, I told one of them one day, I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You just tell your customer how much of this bill you're going to pay. And I'll tell her what the bill's actually going to cost. I did one just the other day on AC repair. They didn't want to buy a whole kit. They wanted to put a compressor on it without doing the condenser and everything. I said, no, we're not doing that because it's not right to these people that own this car. So I'm going to fix it, fix it right. I informed the customer. I said the difference in what they want to pay and what it actually costs is about $800. And I said, what do you want to do? She said, fix my car right. I'm going to sue them. I said, well, that's the right course of action to take. Because they're trying to do it on the cheap side, and you can't do that, can you, Doug? And every one of them does it, Joe. I don't care who it, who it is, who sells it, it. Every one of them do the same thing. They're out to save every penny they can save because they've sold you something that they can't really stand behind. Not well, the they right don't way stand behind it. They don't want to put out, they sold a contract for $3,000. They don't want to put out $3,000 on a transmission replacement because then their contract, anything in additional to that from then on, they lose money on. So they're constantly yeah, I, trying to cut the price down because they don't make any money if they if they put out repairs on a car that exceed what the contract cost. And some of these contracts nowadays, and Joe, they have a yep. maximum that they'll pay out. And Correct. then once you reach that maximum, they drop you. Yep, that's fine. You don't get no money back. And is this something to be con- uh, considerate of? Because I'm going to tell you what, that's what I get most of my calls about. You bet you. <laughs> they drive well, me you, crazy. That's the biggest racket there is out there, Dave. I get those calls, too. Duck does, too, on his phone. We own a repair Three shop. Three or four days. Yeah. Here's what I tell I people. Them. Just know that if they've got a call center that they're drumming up business like that, beware. That's all I'll say about Don't. it. Just beware. Never buy anything on a phone call, period. Uh, no. I, I agree with that. All right, break time.
Now, we got to take a break. Let's uh, do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We continue with uh, Joe and Duck here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Car questions that you're sending in. Remember, if you just have a car question, send it to me at Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. When uh, you, you get it to me, I'll be happy to uh, ask them the question on the following Wednesday when they're on with me again. All right, guys, I've got uh, Zachariah has a 2011 Jeep Compass Limited, four-cylinder, 2.4-liter engine. He says, so my wife hit a pothole pretty hard, and the lights all came on. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, and the four-wheel drive would flash, which wouldn't allow me to drive the car because it would randomly break the wheels. I found the right rear sensor was hanging out of the bracket in the bearing and replaced the bearing because the bracket was broken. Now it's uh, drivable, but all lights are still on, and four-wheel drive doesn't work. Randomly, the four-wheel drive light will flash and do what it does, and all I have to do is make a full stop, and it will go back to solid once I start driving again. Does this mean anything? Bad new bearing? All other sensors seem in good condition. Is there an easy, cheap way to check which wheel the problem is coming from. Thanks. Well, I think well, that uh, there's... Go ahead, Doug. Well, I think uh, if he didn't, you know, clear all the codes out of it, Joe, it could be he's still got Scott codes in it, and it's not recognizing it yet. But there again, we yeah, need to scan it and look at it and see what's going on. Yeah, and you have to remember, some of those bearings, when you press them in, one side of it has a magnet on it and one side of it doesn't. So unless yeah. you're really aware of what's happening, you can put that bearing in backwards, and that wheel speed sensor will never pick up because the, the magnet never reluctant on the wrong side. So, you know, it's hard to say whether or not he's created another problem or he still has an existing one. But scanning it, you'll be able to drive it and check those sensors and look at that wheel speed and see what's going on. Every day, I mean, it's it's just a matter of about about thirty minutes to scan it, and look at it, and go drive it to figure out what's what's going on. And, I and that's still going. Yeah, that's the thing that people aren't understanding. Those scanners have been made intricate to what you all do. Well, without, you can't fix with, a car without one today. That's for sure. Yeah, because if you don't have the information. You have nowhere really to start, uh, to be honest. The only reason this guy started where he was is because he looked underneath and he saw something hanging out that he knew shouldn't have been hanging out. And he fixed it and thought he had fixed the problem and had not. That's correct. But there there again, Joe, the code has to be cleared out of it to make it all uh, work properly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's got it's got to it's got to be. He needs to do more work on that, but I I still think that he's got uh, some some issues someplace else too, you know, or where where he put the bearing in. I would really be looking that close. Yeah, well, this yeah, is like neat. like Kenneth Sullivan says, DIY, destroy it yourself. Yep. 
It happens every day, Dave. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Joe was right when he said this guy could have just caused bigger problems with what he did. Well, you might have his yep. original problem, and he created one, too, so, you know. Now you got two problems. And you know yeah, the problem is... Go ahead, Go ahead, Joe. Some, sometimes finding a man-made problem is harder than one that naturally occurs, isn't it, Doug? Every day. I got one out there right now. It's got a bad plug on a DF module on a Ford F750. Ford says it ain't their plug. Cummins says it ain't their plug. I've been back and forth between Ford and Cummins for the last three weeks. You know, trying to get one of them to, buy, to get me this Warren Hornets plug. It's a, the, it's a, it's all the DEF module plus the sensors and all that uh, Warren Hornets. But Ford says they don't make it. It comes from Cummins. And Cummins says, no, we don't make it. It comes from Ford. So well, explain that. How come? <laughs> oh, that's just that's on on trucks on them F seven fifty Fords and them them GMs. That's just an everyday fight. If you need a plug, you can book it. It's nobody's going to say it's theirs. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, I even got customers got about eight hundred of these trucks, and I even got them on it now. You know, their company's out of uh, New Orleans. And uh, he called me yesterday, and I was talking to him and uh, Wayne, and he said, I don't know what the hell we're going to do. But what happened, the DEF module got loose and slid over against the exhaust and burned all the harness up and burnt the plug up on it. I've got the new DEF module and everything mounted, but I can't get no plug to go along with it. <laughs> well, the wonderful world of uh, companies. Yes. Nobody knows who made it. Nobody wants to bite the responsibility. What can I say? The way it works. Yes. All right. Michael's got a 2011 Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited, eight-cylinder, 5.7-liter engine. Now, he's got a question, guys, and I'll let you pick up on it. He says, my dealer just replaced my oil pan because of a leak, but now the pressure drops to zero when idling. I plan on taking it back tomorrow, but I'm curious why. What did they possibly do wrong that would make the oil pressure drop to zero? Well, we have a lot of problems with those oil sending units and stuff. And, and I, you know, it may be a loose connection. It may be a – you're back to the same thing again. Did they create something or not? You know, uh, has the vehicle been run low on oil before the bearings loose in it? What kind of, you know, what kind of condition was that motor in when they took the pan off? I can't say those guys did anything wrong, but, you know, need to run an oil pressure test on it and see if the engine actually has oil pressure, right, Doug? Exactly. Put a manual gauge on it and look at it. And, and, and Joe, you know yourself, if it's been low compre- if it's been low oil pressure... He's created yeah. other problems along with it. Oh, absolutely. It's been leaking and got low on oil and uh, kind of scored the bearings a little bit, and then the clearances are loose and oil pressure's low. Now, he might have been putting thicker oil in it, and they ch- changed it and put the correct weight of oil in there. Now the oil pressure's yep. lower. So, you know, basically, do that manual oil pressure test. If it's got oil pressure, put a sending unit in it or see what's wrong with the gauge, and you'll be in the right track there. 
And when you take it back, explain to them that you had oil pressure before, you know, and just, you know, you know, give the people opportunity to repair it right. Correct. All right. All right. Last question here during this segment. I got Jason, who's got a 2002 Azusu Rodeo, six-cylinder, 3.2 liter. Now, this is an LS, if that means anything at all. And he says, okay, my car won't start. Every, try, I, every time I try to start the car, it blows the 30-amp fuse in the box under the hood that is labeled ECM. I've tried switching fuses and relays, inspecting the wiring harness, and I can't find anything wrong. But every time I put a new fuse in and turn the ignition, the car will start, run for about five seconds, then the fuse blows and cuts it off. What could be causing this problem? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's probably got a bad PCM. That's exactly what I was thinking to say. There are drivers in the PCM, and, you know, we don't know the whole history on this, but you check it and do a pinpoint test, and you check the hots and the grounds going to it, and there's no shorts in the wiring harness, there's a good chance PCM's bad, and those Azuzu PCMs have a history of that issue, don't they, Doug? Yeah, and on top of that, uh, Joe, they're hard to come up with, too, now. You betcha. You can't hardly find one. The last one I had, I had to send the A1 cord on and get them to overhaul it and send it back to me. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yep. But I lay odds he got a PCM bad on it. All right. So keep that in mind uh, about this automobile. Uh, I think we got time for one more question. Let me go ahead and get it into you guys, and then we'll go to break. Uh, Samantha has a 2005 Chevy Equinox LT, a six-cylinder, 3.4 liter. She says, I've done a tune-up, installed a new thermostat, a new radiator, new water pump, have bled several times. Nothing has worked. The car still overheats while I drive, but not at idle. No signs of head gasket problems. No white smoke out the tailpipe or water. No antifreeze in the oil. What could be going on here? I'm going to tell you, that's going to be a tough one to answer with that information. Because I'm going to tell you, the standard rule of thumb is, if you're round town and your car's not overheating, but you put it on the freeway and the faster you go speed-wise the higher the RPM is on the engine. The faster you go, the hotter the engine gets. That's because it's not circulating coolant enough, fast enough to cool the coolant off in the radiator, get it back to the engine to offset the increase in RPM to keep the engine cool. And I'm, I still, from everything she said, I got a feeling that it ain't full of coolant. What do you think, Doug? It ain't full of coolant. Running around town is fine. When you get on the highway, it sucks it. Too, it sucks too much of the water out of the radiator because it's low. It ain't bled all the way out. That's what I'm thinking. If she has no head gasket issue, my question to her would be: Why did she start making these repairs to begin with? Exactly. Yeah. I, I gotta. I gotta agree with you guys. It seems to me that. What she's had happen is that car was overheating, and she did all of this stuff to try to fix it, and it hasn't fixed it. And another Correct. thing, too, Dave, 
I want to know how she figured out how it didn't have a blowed head gasket without having a machine to check it with. That's me. Same way. Bring it to one of us and we'll check it. We can tell her what's wrong wrong with it. All right. That's the way it always works. You take it over to the to the uh, the people who are experienced and uh, are the professionals, and and they get it together and and work it and 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 fix it for you. All right, let's get our final break in, guys. Uh, sit down, take a little breath, uh, sit back, uh, duck, and put your hands, uh, your head in your hands, uh, lean back, and dream of buffalo for a few minutes. And we'll be back with more <laughs> here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Joe Sharp and uh, Donald Godsey are here. They're both uh, great, experienced technicians. They both have their own garages. Joe has Joe's Garage over on Crystal Hills Road. And uh, Donald, everybody calls him Duck, and it's Duck's Garage over in Benton, over there by the old airport. And we've got one segment left. Remember, if you have a question, send it in by email to Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. I'll get to your question next Wednesday if you'll send those questions to me over the next couple of days. James has a 2010 Ford Escape XLT four-cylinder. It's a two-and-a-half-liter engine, and he says, here's my problem. The other day I was driving home from work, and my SUV started running hot. So I popped the hood and noticed steam uh, was uh, coming from the water outlet housing. I took it off and found that it was cracked, and then I replaced it. Now it still runs hot. I'm guessing when it got hot, it cracked the water outlet housing. What could have made it get that hot? This is the first time it ever ran hot. Any suggestion would be welcomed. The car, within about 10 minutes of driving, will run hot, but not when it's just idling. What a surprising little part that he added at the end there. Kind of goes along with the previous question that you all answered. I'm going to say, Dave, that, you know, those housings are plastic. The reason it's cracked because it's old and the plastic got brittle and it split, and that's a common occurrence. Now, if he didn't overheat the engine too much, then he probably doesn't have a head gasket issue. But we're back to why is it still running hot, but only on the highway, but in town it's not. It's it's back to, uh, I, I don't think it's full of coolant. How about you, Duck? Still got air in the system somewhere. And, Joe, as you know, we've had to take the heater hose off and hold it straight up in the air before to get it to burp out some of them. Some of them are, are a pain in the rear to get the air burped out of them. You, you're right. And sometimes we have to use a vacuum lift on them. Put a vacuum on yep. that system, let it suck the coolant in. There, there's, there's, each one has its own, what you call bleeding um, procedure. Yes. And, and you gotta, you gotta pay attention to that and you gotta do it the right way. Otherwise you're not going to get all the air out of there and then it's going to cavitate. And generally you'll see that at higher speeds, the engine runs hot, lower speeds. It doesn't because there's enough cooling in there to keep the engine cool at low RPM, but not high RPM. And I have had to bleed them two or three times, Joe, ourselves to get them to run cool. Exactly. You go out and drive it, come back, shut it off. I've had to let them set overnight with the with the uh, radiator cap and the hose off of it. Let that stuff bleed out and then fill it up the next morning, put the cap back on it, and you're usually good to go. Well, you guys, yep. actually, you guys actually have some equipment that will 
sucking cause the the coolant to fill in all those gaps, don't you? Yeah, it's called a, it's called a air it's called an airlift. Actually, what it does is it pulls a vacuum on the coolant system, and then you put the hose in the coolant jug to refill it and open it up, and vacuum sucks the coolant into the coolant system in the engine, the radiator, and all that. Now that'll get about 80, 95, 85, 90 percent of the coolant in there, but you still have to let it run and circulate and get to pumping around because there are cavities in the engine block and and in the cylinder head and stuff that may not completely get filled up. So it's it's still a process even with that lift system. Okay. Everybody needs to keep that in mind. All right. I think this will probably be our final one for today. Gentlemen, Terrence has a 2000 Volkswagen Jetta TDI. I know how much guys like Volkswagen, so I saved the best for last. Four-cylinder, 1.9-liter engine. He says, first, let me start off by saying my timing belt did not break. I purchased a car with no idea how many miles were on the timing belt, so I changed it out. Also, I'm a heavy tractor-trailer diesel mechanic with Pepsi, but I don't have much light-duty experience and not much at all with a VW. So I did my timing belt on my 2000 VW Jetta and messed up getting the tensioner tightened properly and threw the whole engine out of time. I went back through and set crankshaft to TDC and camshaft. I installed the bold tool into the end at what I assume is uh, timed and not 100, uh, 180 on. Still cannot give vehicle to start, and I have cranked each injector to verify I am getting fuel to the injectors. Do you have any suggestions? I, I did not see any timing marks on the camshaft to verify that my camshaft is tamed, uh, timed with my crankshaft, and I also don't know if my injection pump is timed with it all either. Thanks for any help. Wow, that's a really technical question. He's out of time, Dave. Yeah. He's just, just it, it, out of time. Yeah, he he's he's had it out of time and cranked it over. There there may be some some issues with uh contact with the valves with the pistons because that is an interference engine. And uh it may be he may have it back in time now, but the reason it won't start is because it's a compression issue. He needs to run a compression test on it to see if he has compression and needs to verify that the cams and the crank are in time property. There are some special tools to do that with. Uh, you could get online and order them from KD or one of those tool places, and they're not that expensive, but that would help him a whole bunch in getting it lined up properly, wouldn't it, Doug? Oh, yeah. And and like you say, Joe, that is an interference engine, that little that little jet of diesel. But I lay y'all yeah. just still out of time. He's bent bowels. Yeah, uh-huh. if, it, if it ain't bent none, it's probably still out. But he needs to be quit cranking on it till he gets it in time, right? Or he's going to have some. I promise you. And yeah, and then it's going to get bad expensive. You betcha. So whatever you good know, whatever good deal that you made may not be such a good deal when you get done. No. Well, you you're trying to work on it and save money yourself, and end up like this, and you end up costing yourself more money because. Should have just brought it into one of the bumper-to-bumper certified service centers and said, hey, guys, needs a timing belt. 
what is it going to cost? And then you get a two-year warning with that when you get through. So, you know, hey, it, sometimes you just uh, make the wrong call and trying to save money. Yep. You never know. All right. Let me try to get one last question in here. If we can't finish it, we'll come back to it next week. Well, we do, we're out of time. The music just All came right. out. Next next week, I'll print this off because it's an interesting question about a 2016 Dodge Challenger XRT, six-cylinder, 3.6-liter engine, ongoing steering issue. It's got 16,000 miles. I'll explain it to you guys next time. Joe, thanks you for uh, joining us today. Duck, welcome back from vacation, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Dave Ellsworth. Okay. These guys will be back next Wednesday. Send your questions, Dave, at SalemLR.com.